Hey, before we get started, we just want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Church Sound Made Simple. Mixing sound seems complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Cut the overwhelm by getting access to the stress-free, no-fluff training that will help you create great sound at church. Visit churchsoundmadesimple.com. Welcome to the Collaborate Worship Podcast, where we help you create great sound at church. I'm your host, Cade Young, and today I'm here with Brian Blackmore. How are you doing, man? I'm great, Cade. How are you today? I'm really good, and I'm really glad you're here. For those of you who don't know Brian, he is the editor-in-chief and publisher of Church Production Magazine. This resource has been serving the church for more than 20 years now, providing church-specific education for audio, video, and lighting. So, Brian, give us the backstory. How'd you get started with Church Production Magazine? Wow. Long story, Kate. I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Um, I was a, uh, I am a musician. I, I still play bass at my, uh, at my church, but started playing in Christian bands when I was a teenager. Um, wound up going to a Christian college in, in Nashville. I went to Belmont College. It's now called Belmont University. Um, did an internship with an ad agency and fell in love with marketing. And uh, so I wound, wound up working for a, uh, a contracting firm in Florida that, that designed and installed audio, video, and lighting systems for churches. And so the installation side of the technology, uh, you know, came alive for me in that job as I was doing their marketing and uh, public relations. So I was able to use some of the background that I had playing in bands and being around all that technology, you know, but again, being primarily on stage as opposed to behind the board. Um, so I did that for a few years uh, with the contractor in Florida. Again, the primary primary uh, projects were <clears throat> medium to large churches across the Southeast in designing, installing their audio, video and lighting systems. Um, I went on to become public relations manager for uh, an audio equipment manufacturer called Electro Voice. Uh, and I did that for a few years. And um, through both of those jobs with the contractor and again with the manufacturer, uh, the church market was just becoming so much more important to those two entities as a, a viable vertical market. Sounds kind of strange to think about now. Uh, but this was in uh, the early to mid 90s uh, when contemporary worship was sort of um, uh, well, it was not not as widely, uh, not as, you know, not as not as dominant as it is now. So there's so many, you know, many churches were traditional worship that did not rely on technology and they were moving towards technology. So uh, saw an opportunity to uh, to start a publication, a um, lot of prayer. You know, God did amazing things to put stuff in place for uh, for us to be able to launch this publication basically out of our basement. Uh, my wife got a job offer that was able to replace the salary I was making. And um, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Most publications these days are launched by, you know, existing publishing companies. And we were, you know, a little mom and pop that started in uh, in 1998, actually. Um out of our basement. So here we are, you know, 20, 20, almost 22 years later. Uh, you know, it's mostly a digital operation now that we do. We still do print. We still do print. Um, so, yeah, we have about uh, 150,000 churches that we're reaching on a monthly basis across print, the web, email, social media. So it's been quite a ride. And it's, uh, you know, I've been doing it 22 years and I still love what I do. That's awesome, man. I'm glad you still do print because, you know, I grew up in the digital age. I'm 
a millennial. And so with everything in my life being digital, it's nice to just like hold a book sometimes. It kind of takes you back to your roots. Yeah, when we, when we get the, you know, we get the the print in the mail, it's still, you know, you you can feel it, you can hold it, you can you can smell it. <laughs> still still a thrill after all these years. Yeah, and I I've been developing websites for quite some time now. And anytime I get to do some graphic design and actually have it printed out, like I have that same feeling when it comes in the mail and like, ah, oh, I can actually feel what I created. Yeah. Yeah, there's something tangible to it. Yeah. Well, man, in every podcast interview, we always like to take a moment to bring a failure out into the open so we can laugh together and learn something along the way. Because the truth is we all make mistakes and a lot of people find them really heavy until they realize that, you know, everybody out there is making mistakes. So go ahead and fess up, man. Tell us an embarrassing story. Oh, man. Where do I start? Uh, well, uh, one time I was uh, I was playing bass at my church's uh, Christmas uh, Christmas pageant and uh, decided for some reason, I, I guess I needed to make a copy of, uh, um, you know, my chart for, um, you know, for the, for the performance that night. And, uh, I got back on stage after making the copies and spread my music out on the music on the, uh, on the, on the stand in front of me. And I realized that I had missed a page and I had left a page on the copier, which was in another part of the church. So it, there was not time to run back the audience was already coming in. We were in place. We had to start playing before, you know, before the session. We were basically a pit band. So, uh, you know, we had to start playing as people were, were coming in. I didn't have time to, uh, to run and get the music. So faked my way through it. I don't think anybody else knew, but my heart was racing and my face was red. And it was, uh, it was a stressful moment. It's not that, not the thing, kind of thing that you want to start out a Christmas pageant on, you know, hyperventilating like that. So that's, that's one that immediately comes to mind. I, I could go on and on though, Cade, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's good times. I can definitely relate to having your heart beat out of your chest because you do something like that and it's too late. You can't run to the copier because you don't have time. <laughs> no, too late. All right. I'd like to pick your brain on the challenge of juggling in-person services and live streaming because there's a lot of churches out there that are new to live streaming thanks to COVID-19 and it's quite the challenge to get it right. So what have you noticed over the past several months when it comes to church churches live streaming for the first time? Uh, well, it, you know, it's an unprecedented time. Um, you know, we wrote an article early on in the pandemic calling it a, a Gutenberg moment. Uh, you know, the Gutenberg Bible uh, was a major shift in, in, you know, European culture that the, the masses were uh, you know, we're encouraged to read the Bible as opposed to having it read to them. Uh, and I think the, the Gutenberg moment and, you know, what the pandemic has brought about is, uh, live streaming to some extent has been, um, you know, relegated to what we see on TV or, or, you know, something similar where it's the larger, more high end, you know, high end tech, high tech churches that are, that were doing a real good job with, with live streaming. And they were light years ahead of some of the smaller, more traditional churches. And, you know, with the pandemic, uh, you know, if the, you weren't live streaming before you darn well better start and do it fast. Um, so it was a major, you know, tectonic shift in the, you know, in how, how churches do church. So then you get into, well, what does that look like? Churches that had basically, you know, very low or little or no production values suddenly were fighting and learning really fast on how to up their production values in order to, um, in order to 
generate the traffic, but then also keep the uh, the congregation engaged. Um, just the fact that you were streaming a service uh, quickly, quickly the churches quickly realized that 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 wasn't enough. There was the, you know there's more to it. The audience's expectations are much higher because you know we consume everything with video and you know television and streaming. Um, social media. So, uh, you know, how churches adapted to that, it's just fascinating. Um, you know, many churches decided to to not stream at all. They would uh, record their services and be able to do post-production work and mix the music, you know, better and faster. It sounds like a great idea. It's an awful lot of work. It's an awful lot of work. Uh, I know, a, a, I heard of an example where uh, one of our writers, um, they uh, they recorded their Christmas uh, no their Easter services uh, in advance, and they decided to master the audio uh, themselves. And it took almost fifty hours of audio mixing just for one service. And that that had nothing to do with the graphics and the video editing and you know color correcting and you know all of that. It was just such a massive amount of work. So you know they decided that. Um, to outsource their audio from that point on. So they were, you know, sending the audio recordings off to, uh, you know, a mastering facility to have that done. Again, added expense, added time, added complexity. Uh, but their, their, their goal was a higher quality production than they were probably going to get if they did everything live. Because you do everything live, it's all genuine and authentic, but you leave yourself open to... Uh, you know, to mistakes, uh, you know, not just human mistakes, but, you know, technology hiccups and things like that, bandwidth, uh, buffering, stuttering, jitter, all that sort of stuff. So just just such a wide range of approaches that churches have had and have been successful at. There's not a single approach that you can say has been successful. Some churches are very successful with live streaming. Others decided not to do that and decided to go with what we call pseudo live or uh, simulated live. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention, like all the different strategies. There's not one that's right or wrong. It's kind of like whatever works for your church. But for those churches right. who are um, pre-recording those churches. services and then kind of simulating the live stream on on Sunday morning, like what what would you say? Should they still be recording those in the auditorium like people are there or record in another room? Like what's your advice? Yeah, two things I wanted to mention, Cade. Um, as churches started to meet live again, uh the you know the they had to decide were they going to discontinue the live stream or discontinue the pseudo live the recording you know the recorded services uh, because now the technical bandwidth the staff the technical staff in many cases were putting their efforts back into the live event there's a tension there because I think most churches uh, their live streams were more successful than they expected them to be and they expanded their reach. Uh, my church went from several hundred uh, reaching the live stream to tens of thousands regularly consuming the live stream. Oh, actually, it's a pseudo live, but they call it the live stream, but it was a recorded um, and as, ma as many as 30 different countries. So when they decided to go back to live, they couldn't let that go. They couldn't. So, so what they wound up doing was they added staff. Uh, they added staff, they bunch new equipment, much more investment in technology. Um, I had one more thought, Cade. Um, I, I feel like I'm talking too much here, but I kind of get excited about this. Um, 
what did churches do? What did their live stream look like? Or what did those recorded services look like? I think many churches started with trying to make their live stream look like their actual in-person services. And after a few weeks, when it became clear that this pandemic was going to draw on and on and on, and people were watching in their living room, they thought, you know, many churches decided to change the setting, uh, you know, the set design and, and make it more accessible and less of a, you know, an us and them kind of thing, you know, a separation. So they started doing services like in smaller environments, like somebody's living room or a, the church lobby. Some churches did things outside uh, just to try to mix it up. So it was more, you know, in, in, a, in a way to try to connect more with the audience that, uh, you know, that was different because they weren't actually meeting live in, in the services. So why should they fake it? You know, because everybody knew that they weren't doing, you know, nobody was there on stage. And, the, you know, so why, you know, and I think pastors had trouble connecting with audiences. Uh, well, connecting when there was no audience, you know, pastors feed off that energy and the, you know, the, the facial expressions and things like that. So there's so many different approaches to, you know, trying to make the, um, the content more accessible, you know, again, with different set designs and uh, different locations. So just, just fascinating to see how creative churches have been through this. Yeah, I agree. It's been cool to watch the process and how churches adapt. It's, I think it's been good, like for really old churches, just to kind of push into something new and instead of being comfortable in what they've always done. No doubt. Now, one of the biggest challenges with an online service is getting people to engage. I mean, getting people to engage in a room is a lot different than getting people to engage online. So what tips do you have to increase that engagement online? Well, good question, Kate. Again, you know, there's any number of different ways. I mean, what do you what do you consider engagement? Is that just attendance? Is that just, you know, the number of people who uh, who maybe watched 30 seconds of your of your of your stream or your, your content? You know, your analytics is going to show that as a person who attended. But, you know, you, you want people to show up and, and spend more than 30 seconds or, you know, even 10 minutes. You want them there for the full, you know, 40 minutes or an hour. So, I mean, you know, the, the different um, the different online platforms uh have, uh, you know, have offered something new and different, I think, for churches compared to pre-pandemic, um, you know, with chat rooms, um, you know, with, with the ability to feedback and add little emojis at, at a moment's notice. You know, I love that point. I love that lyric. I love that, you know, love that song. Um, I think there are other approaches where um, where you're addressing the online audience separately and differently than you than you would the live audience, um, you know, bes- uh, backstage introductions or, or side stage introductions. You you, you see that um, where there's a like a separate pastor who is, you know, uh, um, you know, trying to connect with the online audience and, and not just treat them as if they were you know, the live in-person audience or try to fake it like they're, like they're live. Um, so I'm sure there's lots of other approaches that you may, you may know of some that I haven't, you know, that I'm not aware of, but that's, that's what we've been doing at my church. And, you know, I've seen that with several other streams that I've observed, uh, you know, in the past few months, what have you seen? Pretty much the same as what you're talking about with, 
I think some churches have maybe even hired an online pastor that addresses before and after the service to give them that one-on-one personal connection. Um, I've just learned that it's a challenge to do both like from the stage, like you're saying, Hey, it's everybody watching on the live stream. And at that point you're neglecting the people in the room and like kind of to, to uh, adjust that balance. Like it just, there's never really a balance to that. So it seems like the only solution is to have that backstage camera, you know, that's addressing the online audience while somebody's mm-hmm. in the room addressing mm-hmm. the people in the room, which it is where we're all like, at. Like right our pastors, think, go ahead. I was just going to say, that seems like where we're all at right now with COVID is like most people have people coming back to church now and you're doing the online thing. And like, that's the challenge that we're all facing right now. Yeah. It's like our pastor seems to throw the online audience a bone in the middle of his, uh, in the middle of his service. You know, if you, you know, if you're live or online and it, it's, it's kind of awkward both ways, whether you're live or stream, cause he, it's kind of like a shoehorn kind of thing. Um, I wanted to mention one other thing, if I could, Cade, you know, this whole streaming revolution and the Gutenberg moment brought along by the pandemic. Um, it, you know, it comes in the midst of, uh, this video marketing revolution of, I don't know, maybe the last six or eight years, you know, we're with so much social media is, 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 you know, is live video or it's moving video. Um, you know, it's, it's just, a I, again, it's the video marketing revolution. Churches, um, have been huge content creators. Uh, it's a, it's a trend we noticed maybe four to six years ago and started covering here at church production. Um, you know, sermon bumpers and uh, promos for events, uh, testimonials, you know, what we call concept videos, scripted concept videos that, uh, you know, that tell a story. Uh, some, in some cases, you know, feature length film or at least, you know, longer than a sermon bumper type films. Um, and we created an event around that uh, four years ago called Capture. It's called the Capture Content Creation Summit. We did it this past year. Well, this year, it, it was a couple months ago. It was in late August. Uh, and it was fascinating. We had, uh, we had, uh, about 550 attendees, 550 churches attend. Um, we don't know how many attendees because we know that there were many churches that were, you know, watching as a group. Um, 40 states and 18 countries. And, uh, so I think it, it all, I don't want to say it's a perfect storm, but maybe, uh, had the pandemic happened, at another point in time when we didn't have this video marketing, uh, you know, revolution going on, it would have, it, you know, it looked very different. Cause I think a lot of churches that were, um, you know, were, were, were comfortable making content online and if they weren't, they had to very quickly. Um, but they were doing an awful lot more producing an awful lot more content than just their live streams, just their church. That's just their services, you know, small groups, uh, addressing individual, I hate to call them demographics, but groups within their churches. Uh, my church has a, a big outreach to uh, families with special needs children. Um, you know, people, families, you know, patients and families fighting cancer, uh, divorce care, things like that. So there's a lot of content that's being produced and streamed, even though it's, you know, a lot of it's pre-recorded and, um, you know, can be played back on demand. But it's, it's all part of the church's online presence um, that has just gotten a huge kickstart, you know, as a result of this devastating pandemic. Yeah, for sure. 
And uh, I, I have one more question for you. It's a pretty loaded question, so <laughs> I hate to throw it on you, but I know we got some listeners wondering about gear, like for for live streaming. So, what have you seen as the best, like budget friendly live streaming setup that still offers great quality? It is a loaded question, Cade. You know, it really depends on, um, you know, how sophisticated you you want to be, how much money you want to invest in it, how many operators you have. Um, one thing that's, that's fascinating is the, uh, the sophistication that is now available with, uh, with PTZ cameras, uh, pan tilt zoom, you know, robotic head cameras. Um, they used to be, you know, trash. They used to be, you know, not much better than like security video. And now, you know, many of the, the major, you know, news organizations and television studios are using, are using them. Our church has used them. Uh, well, they were using them until recently as the main uh, uh, the main camera from the back of the you know the back of the room. It's, it's quite a quite a quite a throw. So real strong telephoto lenses. You know that's about a thirty thousand dollar camera. Um, but what you can do with smaller, less expensive PTZ cameras, you know, in the thousand dollar range, with a single operator and um, remote remote control of those. Um, of those PTZ cameras, you can get, uh, you know, a three camera uh, PTZ setup with the remote control and basically do the work of four people uh, with a single operator. So it'd be three cameras and then the director working on the switcher, which is the remote operator and produce a, quite a, quite a, you know, quite a sophisticated looking operation, um, probably starting about four or $5,000. Um, so I know data video has a system like that. Um, Adorama um, has a package. The data video is all data video products. Uh, Adorama has a, a, they're a big dealer um, in the Northeast um, is a, is kind of a, a mixture of a bunch of different brands from Sony and black magic. And I believe there's some Roland products in there. Um, it's a, it, you know, they're, they're, a lot of companies are reaching out and um, trying to make it as easy as possible for churches it's, it's easy. It's technically, it's easy to stream. You can do it with your, with, you know, with just a single camera. Uh, I'm sorry, with a single smartphone, then you get into, well, the audio is not very good. Well, it's because the camera is all the way across the room. Well, we can't, you know, zoom in and zoom out. Well, okay. Well that requires camera control. So as soon as it's like, a, I don't know, there's a book I used to watch, read my kids called, if you give a mouse a cookie, you know, you give them a little bit, they want something else. You give them something else. They, you know, they want a little bit more with everything you give them. They want a little bit more. And I think that's human nature. Um, so with every, uh, you know, with every technical solution that you introduce to a problem, you're, there's another problem that you, maybe you didn't even know that you had, that you're going to want to, um, you know, to solve or to improve upon. So lots of, lots of options out there. If you were to go to churchproduction.com and just type in streaming, uh, you know, the number of solutions and educational articles and product reviews, uh, it's just exploded. Uh, we were at one point in the, uh, uh, you know, in the pandemic a few months ago, uh, we were pushing 80,000 unique visitors per month, which well, for us, that's, that's a huge increase over our pre-pandemic numbers. But all of that traffic, I'd say 90 plus percent of that traffic was ch ch churches searching for information and product recommendations on, you know, how to improve their live stream. So it was, it was just streaming, streaming, streaming. The search numbers on, on churchproduction.com were just off the charts. 
Yeah, so I definitely recommend you go and do that as soon as this podcast is over. Go to churchproduction.com and type in streaming and and get all that information because I know that's going to be good stuff. And Brian, this has been so good. I'm so glad that you took your time to to be here with us today. What's the best way for people to stay connected with you? Yeah, well, Church Production Magazine, again, we're 20 plus years old. We've always been free for churches. Um so I just encourage people to go to churchproduction.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a button that says subscribe. You can subscribe to the magazine. You can get this digitally. You can get it in print. You can subscribe to our newsletters. We do newsletters five days a week. Uh, we start with a devotional on Monday, and the rest of the week is, uh, you know, it's, it's gear. It's education. We wind up the week every Friday with a tech tip, the Friday morning tech tip. So it's, uh, it's all about helping church techs. Uh, worship leaders that are in charge of the, you know, the, the technology at their at their churches. It's all designed to be a resource to help churches be uh, make better investments and better decisions when it comes to AV technology. So churchproduction.com, hit the subscribe button. All right, y'all don't miss this opportunity to connect with Brian. And as always, thanks for being with us. We need your help to get this podcast out to everybody who needs it. So please leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you are using. And don't forget to subscribe so we can let you know when the next episode comes out. So go implement what you learned in this podcast and we'll catch you next time.